Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to Aussies Only, our weekly look at the Australian players on tour. Welcome to Aussies Only, your weekly podcast offering here at the First Serve, where we like to take the time to specifically tune into how our Australian players are tracking on the tour. All thanks to Latour Tennis. Head over to latourtennis.com to shop their latest Dig 3 collection, which you would have seen players wearing at this year's Australian Open. You can also check out their brand new Le Rally tennis card game. Make sure to check it out. It's your host, Jed Zetzer here. I'm going to hand it over to my co-host, the former pro, Jake Eames, to introduce our very special guest on the show today. Yeah, very excited. Our first Canberran, or for me, a fellow Canberran. Had a great career, a really nice girl, and super excited she's taking the time out of her busy day um, to have a chat with us today. It is Alison By. Welcome. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Really looking forward to this chat. As Jake mentioned, we haven't had anyone on from Canberra yet, so this should be very interesting to get a bit of a different outlook on tennis from a Canberrian point of view. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your upbringing over there in Canberra? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm born and raised in Canberra. I started playing tennis when I was six. Pretty much just gone through the pathway of um, local club tennis then um, I got picked up, I think, at 11 through Tennis Australia's Talent ID program. I went um, and did some you know, squads with them. I ended up winning nationals at 12 and just kind of went down the Tennis Australia pathway um, under our state coach at the time was Todd Larkham. And uh, he came, was fresh off the tour, so it was really great to work with someone that um, had a lot of experience in the professional field. And kind of went from there, played Junior Fed Cup when I was 16, I was in AIS 17, 18, and then once I finished school, pretty much I've been on the tour. I also managed to juggle uh, university at the time after I finished high school, so I've graduated from that, and yeah. Yeah, you've really had an awesome career in, in a holistic view, you've done a bit of everything, and as you said, you tasted some success at a super young age, uh, winning nationals at only 12. What about being from Canberra um, and going through the system there? It's quite unique compared to all the other states. There's not as many players, and but there is actually quite a lot of good coaches. You have, like you said, Todd Larkham, Alan Jones, just to name a few. And it is a little bit more of a privatised environment. You get a little bit more one-on-one time probably than you would in other states. Yeah, um, I would agree with Gamma's very different to the other states. I feel like we're more of a, a community because we are so small um, and we don't have um, that much competition from each other that we have to really work together to go against the other states, for example, in junior teams events and stuff like that. So instead of like the bigger metropolitan areas where almost clubs are and, and players, coaches are against each other, um, in Canberra, we all work together to try and help each other out to make sure we can, at the national level anyway, beat those bigger states and not always uh, kind of get bullied out, I guess, from New South Wales, Victoria, <laughs> Queensland, from being from Canberra and always finishing last in like the schools events. 
That would definitely be an interesting pathway in Canberra. Do you mind telling us about how you got into tennis and if you remember the first time you picked up a racket? I couldn't say I remember the first time I picked up a racket, but I initially started playing tennis with my family. Uh, my aunt and uh, my dad's sister used to play midweek ladies um, and my cousin uh, would play tennis just for recreational. So I think I, I picked, you know, I picked up one of their rackets maybe and we just went down to the local school um, and played some tennis there and I I seem to have enjoyed it. I really can't remember too much. All I remember is uh, getting my first lesson. My dad played a little bit social tennis. So my first lesson was when I was nine and he had actually um, won some event at the local tennis club and the prize was a, pri- a 30 minute private lesson. So I remember he gave that to me and uh, my very first lesson was was with Phil Briggs. And uh, yeah, that was interesting. I had a lot of fun. He made it a, a very enjoyable sport to play. And I think um, now doing a bit of coaching myself, it's I think it's very important to establish for those young kids how to enjoy the sport. Um, so then it, it gets them in the sport longer. It's pretty crazy, Ali, when you look back at that. If you had your first lesson at nine and won nationals at 12, that's, that's a phenomenal uh, three-year turnaround. Um, you mentioned Phil Briggs there, another coach from Canberra. You also worked a little bit with another coach, Damien Ward, who's currently at the Ascot, Ascot Vale Tennis Club in Victoria. Um, and I had a quick chat to him earlier this week, and he said to me that you were one of the hardest workers on court and an amazing role model for young female players. Where did you draw that kind of, I guess, drive to work so hard? I guess I've always had the perfectionist personality. Um, I know um, at school, for example, I always wanted to be the first to finish my work or be the first to um, get my pen license or just just be better at what I was doing than everybody else. I don't know Mm. why. I just seem to have that as a kid. And I guess I had a little bit of arrogance, maybe. Um, I, I just remember at school, like, thinking, oh, I already know this. Like, I don't need to listen to the teacher and I just <laughs> did the work myself. So um, I guess that probably transferred onto the tennis court. You know, I would hit a lot with my dad and he would give me incentives such as, like, oh, if you beat me, I'll buy you this. And, or if you beat me, we can go do this. And at the time, my dad was pretty good. And so I would always lose and then just... I never forget, I was sitting on the, um, I lost a, maybe a set or something. And he was like, if you beat me today, I'll buy you a bike. And I didn't win. And I sat on the court and I cried. But then um, after that, I was like, all right, I'm determined to next time I'm going to win that bike and um, beat him. So I think that's probably where I got it from. I couldn't say if there was a particular thing, but I guess it was just always in my personality. Alison, you've played a lot of tennis on the ITF circuit. Do you mind telling us a little bit about how it is at that level for players and if you believe there are any changes that need to be made to that level of the tour? There's a lot of changes actually at the moment. I'm currently part of a group chat with the players that play the ITFs um, because the tour wants to resume at the moment, but there's so many different risks involved. There's so many uncertainties, mainly because of this lack of funding Clubs have to, and tennis organisations have to organise these events themselves. Obviously, the ITF doesn't have a lot of money to help out financially. So, for example, we were talking about if the ITF were to go ahead, 
if just temperature checks were enough. And we, we said, no, that's not enough. But COVID tests are, you know, at least 90 to $100 US each. So who has the money to pay for that? you know, on a, on a regular basis and we're just going to rip through our prize money anyway just to pay for COVID testing. So there's definitely a discrepancy there um, within the top top level tier to, you know, the bottom level tier. I remember when I first played my first professional tournament, uh, it was 25,000. It's still the same today. They have That was, you know, 15-something years ago. I'm sure it's been longer, but the prize money hasn't really factored in inflation over these years yet at the top of the level every year it increases by a certain percentage so what we were earning you know 15 years ago as a kid I was like oh that's amazing but now as an adult it really doesn't go by at all like $300 just to win or to play your first round singles and doubles match hardly covers you know one night's accommodation, travel and food. So it's um, it's a bit sad, to be honest. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. And uh, there's an article actually from you in the Canberra Times where it said that you're really fearing for the fringe players. Is the financial side really the core issue at the moment, you think, on the, for the fringe players or the ITF tour? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of players do end up dropping out early because they just can't afford it. Um, unless they're picked through the Tennis Australia program or their national association or they have a private sponsor or something like that. The majority of players don't really stick around for too long because it's really tough. And then you're traveling on, traveling around by yourself. Um, you know, you're, you're counting your dollars to see if you can even get to the next tournament. And then unless you're, but then again, like to be recognized as a really good player, you have to be a really good junior. But mm. then as a, to be a good junior, there's there's no funding. So you then again, you've got to be recognized by your national association. And that could be tough as well. You know, what happens if you're part of a really good group of kids and that, you know, you could get lost within that system. So I think you, we do lose a lot of, good potential athletes um not just in australia but i'm sure around the world and then the the question is how can you try and capture more players and get them in the sport longer yeah it's 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 a really tricky scenario and you quickly mentioned there about being selected by the national state programs and from what i know at the moment is that there's going to be a removal of those state programs if you were, I guess, 12 years old again and there was no state programs, you didn't have that access to, you know, the facilities and a coach like Todd Larkham through your development years, like what would you do in a system like that as a player? If I didn't get picked up through Nash, uh, Talent ID at 11 um, and didn't have any really support through Tennis Australia, I highly doubt I'd be playing. No way would we have been able to afford lessons at the time, I think growing up, my dad could only afford, um, being a single parent, he could only afford like one private lesson a fortnight or a month even. So, mm. at the you know, private lessons are pretty expensive. And then you got on top of that, you got to put in, you know, competitions on the weekend, traveling to state for tournaments. So, um, without that support with extra coaching and state squads and stuff like that, no way would I have been able to get the amount of volume um, the amount of exposure to last, uh, to be as good as I was, um, I probably would have stopped playing maybe around 14 or 15 because I just couldn't really, wouldn't be able to keep up 
with everybody else. And when you're a kid or when you uh, when you're good at something, that's you have the drive and the passion to like keep going. But once you start losing or once you start falling behind everybody else, especially when you become a teenager, you have other distractions. You were like, oh, what's the point of this? I'll go do something else or I go get a job or I'll go um, do what all my friends are doing. So there's no real reward, I guess, once you get older, if you if you can't keep up. Have you had to ever get a job, a job outside of tennis to financially support your life on tour? Yeah. So, well, up until I finished school, I didn't need to because I was supported by uh, Tennis Australia. But after, say, 18, 19, I was out on my own. Um, I had considered going to college, but I had already been out of, I, I had one year on tour and I considered going to college because it was so expensive. It was, I was by myself. It was tough. I would have been redshirted for a year and it was a little bit complicated. So that didn't really work out. Um, so then I've started, I started doing a bit of coaching uh, for some of the local clubs. But then at the time, like um, Canberra didn't have enough players for me to train with in a, a decent environment. So I ended up going to Melbourne. I had a friend there helping me out. So I did some coaching for her. I had better training there. I was able to go and train with the girls at, at Melbourne Park at Tennis Australia. Um, I also did some bar work at the local tennis club I was playing for as well um, just to get some extra cash. Um, I would play money tournaments. Luckily in Melbourne, there's always a lot of money tournaments. So that was a better opportunity for me to go and do that there than live in Canberra and always travel for money tournaments because then it doesn't really make it worth it anymore. So that little stint, I think, helped me keep going a little bit more. I think I was about 20, 21 when I went to Melbourne and I was there till I was about 24 when I finished uni and then went really full time. And I had already um, gotten some decent results. Um, I was pretty um, confident and um, excited to be back on tour again, full time, um, just emotionally and physically as well. And I think, yeah, that kind of pushed me, kept going for another couple more years. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, isn't it, that players outside, you know, 200 on the WTA Tour or ATP Tour, there's a lot more that goes into it, unfortunately, than just playing tennis. There's all these other sources of income that need to come your way if you aren't um, funded yourself. In 2015, you reached your career high of 305 in singles. And January 2020, you hit your career high of 125. You're currently sitting at 144. Did you make the switch from singles to doubles? And I remember hitting with you once at Melbourne Park and we had a brief discussion about the difficulty on the women's side to find another player that you gel with who's also committed to a full double schedule. I guess at the time when I was playing singles, I wasn't really caring too much about doubles in 2015. Um, as every tennis player, you always want to make it in singles. But mm. I guess trying to play a full year of singles um, and doubles on the side, it gets quite quite intense and quite full on, especially when the following year you can't back that up or you can't get better. So I've always been good at doubles. I remember um, winning like 14's Nationals doubles title and I said, oh, I should just be a doubles specialist. So <laughs> uh, I always had good hands at the net. Um, I was taught, I was very lucky to have been, had some lessons from Helen Goulet, who was a, a doubles specialist. So she taught me at a young age how to volley and 
stuff like that. So concentrating more on doubles definitely has prolonged my career, but it has been a struggle to find um, girls to commit to a proper double schedule more so because for example before uh, last year I was playing with a girl uh, that I found in Europe um, she was from France and so we did really well together we had some really good results she came to the states with us and we we were trying to organize what we would do after that possibly get a coach to work with us as well but because I live in Australia and she lives in France the logistics of it isn't <laughs> ideal so after America, we went to Asia together because obviously Asia is quite central. But then after that, there was an Aussie tour and there was tournaments in Europe. So one of us would have to come over to each other's side of the world. Neither of us were committed to do that because there's tournaments in our own area, in our own continent. So why would we travel? Mm. It just didn't really make much sense, um, especially at the rankings that we were at, we weren't making enough money to be chasing points. If we if we were both at the same ranking, so if we were both maybe a little bit high, maybe top 100, like 80 or 90, then that would make more sense to, to play the bigger events and chase points and really commit to it. But um, at the time, I had we had tournaments in Australia and she had tournaments in France. So even at the beginning of the year when the WTAs came to Australia, I tried to convince her to come down to do a bit of a block here with us to do a preseason, but she just didn't have the funds to do it. So that kind of happened. So it makes it hard. Yeah, it does. And it makes it hard in Australia as well because the younger girls like to concentrate on singles and then it, um, so it's hard to get someone from your own kind of continent or country if you're at the same level, the same ranking, you think the same way also. But not only that, you have to be able to gel as a team. Um, mm. If your game and their game works well together, you both could be thinking the same way, but if your games don't work, then there's really no point. Yeah, that's it's definitely a difficult situation trying to find a player that is uh, on the same page as you. But you did find one in Zoe Hives last year and played the Australian Open with her and you made the second round. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that tournament and what it was like getting a victory at Grand Slam level? Yeah, it was awesome. I played um, the Aussie Open a couple of times before that. So to actually get a win um, in front of an amazing crowd that day, I'll, I'll definitely never forget that. We had played together the year before and like we get along quite well. We have similar personalities. Our games seem to gel quite well. Um, but I'll never forget the first time we played Australia Open together, Zoe was so nervous because this was her very first Australian Open singles um, or doubles, so main draw event. So that was, uh, it was a bit different then. But the second time around, obviously we had more confidence um, and more experience together. Um, luckily, I think we had a last-minute change of opponent. I think we played a, an alternate. Um, the, pa- the pair that we were supposed to play ended up pulling out. So that was that was pretty good. But the, the crowd definitely helped us get, get over the line. And we we're more comfortable with each other in that environment. I think that's what helped us as well, just to overcome the nerves and the whole, oh, we're playing at the Australian Open. We have an actual shot of winning this match. Um, just pretty much keep it in the court and focus on that ball and um, use the crowd as much as possible, which I personally think I did. I was on such a massive high during that match. Um, I don't even remember half of it. So 
It was definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, geez, awesome experience there. With your career in studying and balancing, I guess, study and playing and training and, and managing and juggling such a full schedule, you've done that successfully. Uh, you're still studying at the moment. Would you recommend that for younger kids transitioning on the tour as well to, to have study as a way to keep progressing in your academic life while still playing? Do you think it's possible for everyone to do? I think so. Um, it just depends if you're committed to do it. Um, I person, My personal opinion is that it doesn't actually have to be study per se or at a, are you doing a university degree, but I strongly recommend doing something outside of tennis, whether it's you want to start your own business or write a blog or learn a language or something along something else because tennis is brutal and you need a distraction especially when you're on the road something else to do instead of just kind of watching Netflix and you know sit around and whatever because you could be injured you know you could do your knee or your shoulder and you could be out for like six to 12 months and if you hadn't really had something else on the side I think that's where a lot of athletes kind of suffer from especially when they're transitioning out, just have some, you know, uh, mental health issues because tennis has been their whole life and they've been so consumed in it and they've been thinking about it all the time and then some event happens and throws them off their pathway. They don't know how to deal with it. So I think Mm -hmm. it's good at a young age to stay in school till you finish your 12 and then keep doing something on the side. It it definitely, coming towards the, the end of, and looking back, um, I'm definitely grateful that I've done everything that I've done because it teaches you so many different skills that are needed in normal life. For example, like time management, um, how to, you know, juggle, you know, five different things at once, how to just manage tough situations and, you know, have some perseverance and determination to just get things done. Um, I think that's the one great skills when you're being an elite athlete and doing a, a bunch of different things at the time. It definitely become gives you, um, allows you to be a more rounded person. Um, and I think you learn to be more grateful for the sport that you play. And then again, that may allow you to stay in the sport a little bit longer. I think a lot of athletes, if they don't achieve what they want to achieve in one or two years, they're like, nah, I'm just going to do something else. But I guess they don't realize that um, being an elite athlete is a privilege and it's an amazing life journey. And you learn so many different skills that the average person may not be able to experience and so then when you go into the workforce later on down the track if you have a being an elite athlete on your resume and say oh yeah I've also done x y and z which shows your employer that you're you have a very good work ethic that you're can juggle so many things and you you work well under pressure if you have a lot going on so I think it's definitely gives you an edge over someone who's just fresh out of uni who just worked at a cafe and really had nothing else on their resume. I think it's amazing how you've been able to balance and manage both studying and playing and that's definitely something that other players can learn from from you and I yeah I just think it's I think it's a great achievement. Are you happy with the way that you know your career has panned out both on and off the court and you're happy with how you were able to balance you know the on court and off court elements? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think um, I would do 
anything differently. Um, at the time, uh, when I was fresh out of high school, I went on tour for a year, just full time. I was doing one subject, but just because, you know, my parent, my dad had encouraged me to always have an education. So I was doing it, but I really wasn't into it. But then I actually had a stress fracture in my foot um, halfway through that first year. So I was pretty much out for six months and I had pulled out of uni, I, you know, because I thought I was be playing tennis full time and I didn't do anything for six months because I was just sitting because I couldn't walk. So mm. I think that was a bit of a realisation that I needed to um, keep doing uni on the side. And looking back, like it, it's uh, given me an education that I've used on tour. I did a commerce degree. So just being aware of like interest rates and exchange rates and like financial markets and that helps with traveling when you're, you know, in Europe and trying to convert euros to Aussie and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and also at the time, looking back, I mentally wasn't really ready to be playing tennis full time um, by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 18, 19, you're mentally not really very mature, I would say, um, to be prepared for what lies ahead. So um, taking a little bit of a step back from, say, playing full-time tennis and concentrating a little bit more on the university allowed me to grow more as a person and to mentally mature more um, and physically mature more as well, um, get stronger and get faster and be more prepared to go back out there um, by myself and really try and give it a good crack. Um, So I think university definitely helped me on that journey and that's why now I encourage people to um, at least go to college for one or two years because you don't, nowadays the tennis players don't peak to 25 to 28 years old. So when you're fresh, you know, um, out of school, when you're 18 or 19, you know, you want to go out partying with your friends. You want to enjoy some of the other life's um, pleasures. So if you can go to school for one or two years, you can mentally mature, you get bigger, you get stronger, then you can, then I think you would be ready to kind of battle those 24, 25 year old guys and girls on tour that are just more mature and stronger than you. hundred percent, Alia. And I remember when I was younger as well, 17, starting to play on the, on the circuit and looking at the criteria and going, okay, if I'm not 250 in the next year and a half, I'm, completely off track in my career you know so it's a lot of pressure and everyone does develop at a different uh, level I'm also not a huge fan in too many regrets um, because it's impossible to change the past but going into coaching you can definitely reflect back on things that you could change or could have done better that might help I guess the next generation is there anything that you would have or could have maybe liked to change to maybe change the direction or improve something earlier um, that could have helped later on in life? Similar to you, I'm not a fan of regrets. I believe that every decision you make right now, you make it so that you don't have regrets in the future. So that's how mm-hmm. I kind of go about my life. And yeah. whenever I have a tough decision to make, I'm like, okay, will I be okay with my decision five years from now or whatever? So that definitely, my journey has been a tough one and um, like everybody else, but looking back, I wouldn't really um, specifically change anything. I guess maybe 
I wouldn't say regret, but I, I would have liked to experience the college lifestyle probably one yeah. or two years. Um, I think my personality would really um, enjoy that um, and just to, just to see what it was like. But at the time when I had finished school, I was already ranked like 430 in the world. I was supported by Tennis Australia. I thought I would be top 100 within the next like yeah. two years or something. And at the time, no one really encouraged going to college. Um, it, didn't, it wasn't really a pathway if you wanted to be a professional player back then. Obviously now it's very different. Um, they're encouraging players to go to college. So I guess that's probably one one aspect I kind of wish I, I went to, I look into it a little bit more. But at the time when I was looking into it, it was the right decision at that time because then I wouldn't have gone through the journey that I have gone through. But I guess growing up as a as a girl and not having many females around to play with, I was playing a lot like with you and a lot of the other guys growing up. Yeah, I think it would have been nice to have a, a female mentor or just someone else that just came from a female point of view or being able just someone to just chat with other than tennis, just other random stuff that's been going on and um, whatnot. So I think if I had a coach or whatever, um, kind of have the skills to listen, that would have made, I think, a, a bit more of a difference instead of being just always told what to do, be able to have a voice and be like, oh, I don't know if that's great. Oh, I don't understand that. Or can mm. we do this and and stuff like that. So now being a coach, well, now doing some coaching on the side, I, I try and get, try and incorporate my experience with that. So even like an eight-year-old that I'm coaching, I said, okay, so why do we do this? And, you know, what do you think, you know, why you missed that shot? And like, does that feel okay? And because at the end of the day, it's the player's journey. And as a coach, you should just help the player grow, not as not just as a player, but as a person. And I learned that quite later on in life. I'm a very quiet, I was a very quiet person. But then going on tour by myself, I had to actually speak to random people because otherwise I would never get what I needed to get hitting or um, a combination or whatever. So I had to grow very quickly um, and come out of my personality a little bit more and just speak up, which I, I wish it was kind of um, encouraged more at a younger age. Alison, where do you see yourself post-tennis? Do you think you'll sort of go into that field that you studied, which was the business and commerce and then the law area, or you think, you know, you, you want to go down the coaching path? Uh, I'll always stay uh, in coaching. I always have, I'll always do something along those lines. I really would like to pass on whatever I've learnt on tour and stuff like that to the next generation and, and see them achieve what they want to achieve. Um, as But I don't think I could be able to do it full time. Um, I'd like to also do other things so I could keep growing as a person and keep exploring like um, other opportunities. So at the moment, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my law degree. The The dream at the time was to be a sports agent or to combine the sports, the law and the business mm. um, aspects all together. But coming from Canberra, there's not a lot of sports agents or not a lot of athletes to be an agent for. So um, that would be a tough challenge. But Hopefully I can combine all three. Uh, studying law, I think, is just 
people ask me why I do it and I said oh just because I want to I may not necessarily want to be a lawyer because I know how intense that could be but it teaches you some good skills to know you know what your rights are and stuff like that and read legislation and all that kind of stuff so it's just good skills to have so you know and that's why I encourage tennis players to go and do something else because you need to expand your skill set later on down the track when you're looking to get uh, employment even as a coach you need to ex uh, need to know how to communicate really well so those are important skill sets to have um, and if you do other things um, you may learn other skill sets that you may not necessarily realize you've learned uh, for example I did a dispute management course on uh, like mediation and they taught us kind of how to put yourself in someone else's shoes and be an active listener and um, try and compromise with them and I've actually taken those skills into coaching when I'm coaching these kids um, I try and put myself into their shoes try and use language that they can understand and if they want to say something you know make sure I understand what they're trying to tell me Sounds like, Ali, that you're really going to transition, I guess, into post-tennis, still balancing that, that life of tennis and something else, which is great. I think it's great to hear that you are passionate to keep your hands involved in tennis. I think you'd be great for the Australian tennis community, especially young girls aspiring to do what you've done. We're just going to jump now into a couple fan questions. Okay, The first one is, what is your career highlight? Career highlight. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would have to have two. Um, obviously, the Australian Open um, winning our first round um, would definitely be one. And the second one would probably be playing Junior Wimbledon. Um, I think reaching the round of 16 or something like that. I think I lost to Madison Brengel. Um, but that was it was super interesting because that was the year that it rained like nonstop for about five right. days. So I know it was after mm -hmm. that Wimbledon that they decided to put a roof over the stadium so that they could keep going. Um, but just the um, experience of waiting around and not knowing when to play, when you were going to play and just everyone was in the same situation. So um, that was definitely another highlight. Alison, you've had a, a very long career on the tour, so I'm sure it's hard for you to narrow it down to maybe just one player. But who is, in your opinion, the best player that you've played against on the tour? Oh, that's that's tough because yeah. mainly because I don't remember half the matches that I've played. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess, like, it was a privilege to play Alicia Mollick back when I was a junior, when she was coming back from, I think she had a, a illness or something like that. I only remember that match because that's where I tore my um, my left tendon on my wrist because she kept hitting this heavy ball up to my backhand and I had to keep hitting it above my shoulder and then my wrist was just like, no, I've had enough of that. So um, that was pretty cool. And I guess um, playing Ash Barty as well is pretty cool. I was lucky enough to be a part of um, when Jess had mentioned Jess was playing with Ash on her first tournament back in Perth uh, when they won that uh, event. They actually played me and Abby in the final. And I think we were up like 8-5 or something or in the super tiebreak and we ended up losing. But it was, it was pretty 
pretty cool and pretty special to actually watch Astra's journey um, and be able to be on court with her. And I'll never forget watching her play when she was 14 in Ipswich. Um, I think it was the first ITF. She had same strokes, everything like that, but she was just t- this tiny kid. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, she's going to be really good. But no one really would have expected how good she could have actually been. But that was, yeah, that was that was great to experience her doubles side, uh, doubles mine. This was after she reached three Grand Slam finals with Casey. So just to see how she worked and stuff like that was a good experience. Ali, from us here at Aussies Only, congratulations on your career and all your achievements to date. Good luck with everything else that's to come. It's been awesome to chat to you. I was just looking at the time and I know you've got coaching to get to, study, preparing for the UTR event in Canberra coming up. So we'll let you go. Uh, But thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us today. No worries. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Well, that's all we've got for you on this week's edition of Aussies Only. We hope you enjoyed the show and make sure to head over to latuatennis.com to get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel in the game and get your hands on the latest tennis card game, Lorelli, before it sells out. Make sure to head over as well to thefirstserve.com.au and click on the podcasts tab and then click on the Aussies Only podcast page to listen in on any episodes you may have missed. We caught up with Callum Puttergill last week, one of the Latour diggers, and we've also caught up with players like James Duckworth, Luke Saville, Daria Gavrilova, amongst many other Aussies out there. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's edition of Aussies Only. You've been listening to Aussies Only, part of the First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.